Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Canizero and Daniel Farish as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Inside the OC. My name is Matt Canizero, joined today by Daniel Farish and USBC Hall of Famer, Mike Shady. Daniel, how are you today? I'm uh, doing well. It's a little cold here in Kentucky, but uh, doing well, Matt. All right. Well, we're glad to be back. We have a great show today. Uh, we're going to talk to Mr. Shady, our lifetime average leader at the USBC Open Championships. Mike, how are things up in your part of the country? Uh, things up here in Erie are, are fine. They're cold. About 36 today. Um, but for what's kind of going on, I'll take it. Well, it is a crazy time in America right now, really across the world. Um, and you guys were just like thousands of other bowlers getting ready, looking forward to the Open Championship starting in Reno. Uh, and we're pushed back just a little bit here. Uh, but let's first dive in and talk about what life is like for you in PA right now. Uh, of course, uh, you're, you're a school teacher and, and a full-time bowling coach as well. So out there trying to make lives better. Uh, in every aspect, but so just talk about the last couple of months for you and, and what you're doing to, to keep busy and, and keep sane a little bit. Well, things are, you know, very, very similar to the rest of the country. We, we actually canceled school the rest of the year. Last week, the governor came down with that mandate um, fully online right now. All our kids are, are being instructed online, which, which means um, I'm teaching online. Uh, a, a little bit of a transition. I've been doing uh, things online within my classroom, but still kind of blowing it out online through the last couple of years. So I had to transition a little bit, um, learn some different tools, but I'm busy doing that every day. Uh, the kids are, uh, they're doing well. You know, students are doing well. And my kids are doing well. The two I have um, bowling, as you all know, kind of came to a standstill. Um, you know, I haven't taught uh, any uh, any coaching in the last three, four weeks. Um, I also do uh, spring baseball. I'm one of the high school baseball coaches out here. So we canceled our season this past week, all spring sports, uh, canceled our spring trip. Um, so yeah, everything is is evolving around the home right now. Okay. Now, in, uh, in the school world, you, you teach business. And in, uh, in the bowling world, bowling is your business. Um, also a USBC silver coach, uh, again, hall of fame in 2017, uh, but now some quality time at home with the family, right? So that's, that's gotta be a plus as well with what sounds like a very busy, normal schedule for you. Um, talk about the, the time at home with the, with the, the wife and kids and just kind of what that's meant to you. Well, my wife's a teacher as well. So we're in the same schedule. So she's teaching out of the house as well. I have two high school children. Uh, one's a sophomore, one's a freshman. Uh, so you know, just like everybody else, we're, we're together 24-7. Uh, and it's, you know, I've slowed down a little bit. Things have slowed down, which is, which is a blessing. You know, I, I'm a pretty busy guy. I teach full-time. And then in the spring, I go to baseball and I do that. And then weekends, I'm, I'm coaching all weekend for bowling. So that has really slowed down. So it's a lot of quality time, uh, many projects I've had a chance to catch up on. So through all the, the challenges and, and trials that we've seen in the last three, four weeks, you know, there's, there's been some, some positives as well. 
Now, in your time at the Open Championships, uh, of course, this is inside the OC, and uh, we've got some great numbers, a great career for you on the tournament lanes. I know Daniel Ferris, again, is our stats guy, our numbers guy. Uh, he's had a chance to look over your record at the OC. Uh, Daniel, any initial thoughts or questions uh, for Mike and, and the amazing career that he's been putting together so far? Well, one of the numbers that I was looking at, and this isn't something that I have tallied for any other player in the history of the OC in my short time working you know, at the OC, but in the 24 years that Mike has bowled this event, 10 of those 24 times, his all events total has been higher than the number of the calendar year it was that year. And he started bowling in 1996. So that tells me that 10 times his number was above whatever that, that calendar year was. I mean, his first 20 years over 1900, Mike, that is, I mean, unheard of. The only player in OC history to do that. So I, I guess the first question about your numbers is not so much how you did it because every year is different, every tournament's different. But what was it like to be on a 20-year heater, so to speak, where you never shot under 1900? Well, I'll be honest with that streak. I, I really wasn't aware of the streak until about year 18 with Jeff Riggles, my teammate. Uh, I think he blew it out to the press. It might have been on uh, his blog. And, and then I heard about it. Um, but that was the first time. You know, I've never been a numbers guy, Daniel. I've, I've you know, I've been a process guy, so I've always prepared. And many of those, if not all those numbers, were responsible because of the the teams I've bowled on, the two teams that we take, uh, 10, uh, nine other great players. We've always had a great game plan, well-prepared, and, and not bowling and competing as much as I have uh, when I was younger. Uh, the USBC Championships is one of those few tournaments that I've really prepared for, developed a good plan for, uh, physically put a lot of time in each in each one of those years. And so when I got out to the venue, I was, I was physically sharp. Uh, mentally, I was sharp. We had a good game plan. Uh, I've been with Ebonite EBI for 27 years, so I, I had a good bowling ball arsenal. Um, so I was ready to compete. And if if um, if there was a recipe for why I was so successful, you know, a lot of it was that. Well, you said that you don't, you weren't someone, and still aren't someone who looks at the numbers, and you were aware of it in maybe year 18, which was 2013. Uh, 2016 was the first year you didn't hit the 1900 mark. You were 1896. Were you watching the numbers at all that year to, to know you fell well, a little bit short? You know, I, I knew what I needed um, uh, because I was reminded by my teammate. Um, and I, I needed a mark and a tenth, and I opened a tenth for 1890. Um, so, you know, I knew it was going to end sometime. It was a fun streak. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if – it wasn't one of my better tournaments. So if I would have bowled better throughout the tournament, it never would have came down to the last, that last frame. But um, it was a fun streak once I knew uh, it, it was alive. And, and uh, my goal was 20 years. Uh, I just thought that would be a kind of a neat number. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was enjoyable. It was going on. You mentioned that, it, it, you know, you don't look at numbers and you weren't aware of the streak till later. And earlier in your career, you bowled more events than you do later in your career than you have over the last maybe five or so years. Uh, but, but the OC was always at the top of the list because your numbers prove that. So when I ask about preparation, uh, a lot of guys will talk about, you know, they got together with their teams in the weeks or months leading up to the event. But how did you personally prepare for the event each year? And how did that change from when you were younger to as you got more experienced? 
Well, one of the big changes was I, I geographically, I never lived close to my team. I was 650 miles away. They're all from Wisconsin where I was born and raised uh, and now living in Pennsylvania. So I never had the chance to spend a lot of time practicing and developing those game plans. The only time I ever had a chance to, to kind of prepare for them was the day of. We would do the team session in the morning, just a practice session, uh, try to see similar ball motions and talk a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it really, I would, um, I, would, I would go in before work, being a school teacher, I would get in about 5.30 in the morning. I would practice for an hour, uh, two and a half, three months prior to the tournament, right up until the week I left. Uh, and, and just really work on my physical game, my mental game, developing those pre- and post-shot routines, um, figuring out a, a ball arsenal through EBI, trying to get my balls ready for that event, collecting a lot of uh, data. You know, my teammates, Riggles and, and um, some of the other guys really put together the information that was out there and would share it, and then we would develop plans and I would take all that into my practice sessions. And hopefully by the time I got out there, it was enough. It was the right plan. And when it was, we bowled extremely well. Um, so that, that's how I prepared. Mike, we're going to talk a whole lot, I'm sure, about those teammates and some of the things you guys have accomplished together. Uh, and that group has been together for the better part of two decades now. Uh, but let's step back prior to uh, – the team coming together, the group as, as it is now um, before your OC career even started. And a lot of guys we'll talk to might be OC famous. They might be team USA uh, or PBA standouts, uh, but you were able to find success uh, collegiately and then uh, on the PBA tour as well. Uh, and that all was before your open championships career even began. So tell us a little bit about the background uh, and, and the point that you got to where you decided Maybe it was time to take a different path in the, in the bowling world. Well, it all started uh, right out of high school. I went to the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse as a freshman and actually won a national championship uh, against West Texas. And that West Texas team arguably could have been the best team ever put together in college bowling. They had Jack Jerk, Mark McDowell, both Scroggins, and Jimmy Davis. All five of those guys got PBA titles. <laughs> um, and we just – it was a one-game breaker for the championship – and they probably beat us 99 out of 100 times with the one-game Baker we won. In fact, they won every tournament that collegiate season in bowling except the national championship where we beat them. And then that year, uh, that at that tournament, I met a guy named Bill Straub, who I used to watch as a kid bowling tour, and Bill wanted to know what is, I was going to do with my career, and, and – um, Eventually, I transferred. I didn't. I instead of going back to lacrosse, I went to Nebraska that next year, set out the year uh, eligibility-wise, but still went to school and then bowled for him the next three years. And he was really the guy that developed my physical game, really showed me how to compete at the highest level, and then went on on tour in 1990 and did that for five full years and. I got married in 94 and I was out there two years being married and just didn't enjoy the road as much as I used to. And, and even my last year, my full last year was in 95, I think in 32 tournaments, I think I had 29 checks. I bowled really well, never made a show. And I just, um, one thing I realized is when you're bowling against the best players in the world 
if your mind is somewhere else besides where your feet are, you, you can't compete at the highest level. So I knew it, it was time to go home. And did I leave early, too early? Absolutely. Did I regret it? No. No, I, I, I didn't regret it. Um, but I, I think I could have won more, um, could have put more successful years in. But I, I just, my heart wasn't, um, wasn't wanting to be out on the road as much as I was. And then we started competing. That was in 95. And then I think in the late 90s, Jeff Riggles wanted to form a team. And we formed two teams. And that's when we started competing at the USBCs. Can you describe just the feeling of, of winning that national championship, winning that PBA title? Uh, these are two pinnacle <laughs> accomplishments that uh, the bowlers dream of. And, you know, before the age of 25, really, you're able to, to accomplish two of those things. Uh, and then really so much has happened is, is possibly even gotten better from there. Well, the national collegiate championship, it, it, it's um, just knowing who we beat at the time was, was the most glorifying and gratifying was, <laughs> as I said, as you look back, could have been the best team of all time. And, and Jack Jerk at the time was all world. I mean, Jack won everything, um, was the one of the best players in the world at the time. He had Mark McDowell, All-American, Bull Scroggins, you know what those guys have done, Jimmy Davis. So that was, uh, you know, it was one of those um, Villanova up upsets in basketball, if you will, one of those Cinderella stories that we, we accomplished that year. So that was a, that was a great uh, start to my career. And then, you know, my PBA title I won in Dublin, California, was the Earl Anthony PBA Open, who was a guy I idolized as a kid. And, you know, I, I, I won his tournament, spent a weekend with Earl, developed a friendship with Earl. So that was a really special tournament. Um, and then going on and, and winning uh, the USBC championships with, with the team. I mean, those are, those are almost my biggest of my career because it's so hard to win out there, even as good as you can, the teams you can put together to win that, that event, the national championships for the USBC, very, very difficult. So, you know, I've been fortunate, been around some great coaches, bowled with some great players, had great opportunities, um, just a lot of – just really the gratitude that, um, that I, I, I know I, I, I need to give to the game is there because of just how fortunate I've been over the last 30, 35 years. Now, my first opportunity to, to meet you guys was in 2005. It didn't take long to realize uh, that you were going to be one of the groups, the teams to watch uh, for countless years to come. Um, but at that point, I think uh, your captain, Jeff Riggles, probably knows about as much as the Open Championships and his history, the prestige, and things that, that you guys learned being from Wisconsin and understanding how much it meant to the bowling community there. Uh, to want to come out and, and be successful. At that point, he'd already had two opportunities to win Eagles, and that was an experience and, and a moment he wanted to share with you guys as a team. Uh, if Arguably, uh, again, you can put five of the best bowlers in the world together, and they may not gel, they may not mesh. Uh, you guys have both. Uh, you have the talent, you have the chemistry, uh, and it has been that way the entire time. Uh, but everybody has a very specific role on that team, and, and even – just as a first-time onlooker, uh, it's pretty obvious what those roles are. But talk about that team, that environment, uh, and then maybe get into what each of each one of you brings to that dynamic. Well, Jeff is—I mean, Jeff's the catalyst behind that. Uh, both teams, our team—he 
it was his idea to put the team together. Uh, nobody is more prepared for that event than, than Jeff Regels. Uh, him and Steve Richter, I mean, they, uh, they, get, they get all the communication. Uh, they study it. They've got contacts. Um, and then they disseminate, you know, game plan for the rest of the team, and they share it, and we, we collaborate, and we talk, we communicate. Uh, and so Jeff was really the catalyst for behind you know the success of our our two teams um and we've been really fortunate and he's made it so easy for me i mean literally and i i, I said this in my hall of fame speech is one of the reasons you know i'm in a hall of fame is because of what he put together jeff tells me when i have to bowl how much i own where i'm staying and i show up and bowl that's literally i do nothing except um make sure that when i'm out there i'm ready to compete uh but but Jeff has, has done all that for all those years and um, just really fortunate. Uh, but, you know, he started with the Fabball teams years ago, some of the most successful teams in the history of that tournament. So as a young bowler, he was, uh, he was mentored by, by Rich Wonders and some of those guys that had lots of success and just knew how to compete in that event. And then Jeff kind of brought us underneath his wing and, and brought those two teams on, and, and um, you know, the, the rest is history, as you say. Well, that 2005 Team All Events run was a lot of fun to watch for all of us in the venue at the time. Uh, certainly made some great stories as well. Uh, tell us about being in that moment. Uh, and it, it, by the time it was over, it was, it was pretty quiet. You guys pretty much had the place to yourselves. Uh, but you got there. You can't win unless you're in the lead. Uh, and that time you got there, you waited it out. Scores were, were, were lower that year. Lanes were tough. Um, but uh, talk about just getting there and the wait, and then finally the elation of being champions at the Open Championships. You know, Matt, we've been close so many times. Uh, and I think I shared this with you. For many years, we, we left with a lead in that tournament for many, many years. And, um, you know, it's – it's one of those things that I, I really never tracked it day to day because I knew Jeff would, and I knew if we got beat, I would hear about it immediately. But you always, you always have your fingers crossed because it, you know, it's so hard to leave there with a lead and then try to hang on for three or four more months with great teams and players coming after you're done, uh, especially with teams knowing our game plan, how we played them, where we played the lane, how the lanes transition. The longer that tournament goes on through the through the championships, the more information is available. So, you know, the the um, the the chance of winning that is, you know, it's difficult if you bowl early in the season because there's so many great teams. The communication, the social media today is much different than it used to be. So, yeah, you uh, you put up the best number and. You hope it's enough. Uh, many times it's not going to be, and that year it was. I know Daniel stepped away there for a minute to, uh, to look <laughs> over some notes and, and grab some more info, uh, especially back looking at that 2005 year. Daniel, we were talking about the Team All Events run uh, as well as uh -huh. some of the roles of the guys on the team. Uh, but as a, as a youngster back then, uh, an aspiring collegiate player and uh, eventually an Open Championships participant, um, what did you hear and know about the kind of the legacy of, of Mike Sadie and his team at the OC at that point? Uh, from back in 2005? Yes, sir. 
I'm back in 2005. I was a freshman at the University of Louisville, and uh, all I knew all I knew about uh, the tournament was it was at that point it was uh, to me it was still the ABC Nationals. You know, I didn't I wasn't caught on to the rebranding of Open Championships. I wasn't. I was still saying ABC, not USBC. Uh, I just knew that a bunch of guys every year went to nationals. They got to bowl in the stadium. But uh, I didn't exactly have my ear to the ground as far as what was going on out there, uh, unfortunately, the youngster that I was. But uh, the question that I do have about that run, Mike, you were talking about setting the number and then, you know, waiting that extended period of time for the, the scores to come out and the, everything to be finalized. How did you handle that? We talked with Matt McNeil a couple of weeks ago, and he said that back in the day before technology – uh, boomed the way that it has guys would uh, get a subscription to the newspaper in that in the host city and follow the scores that way some guys would call every day to check numbers how did you guys track the numbers and follow them as the tournament kept going on and running to its end well we we had jeff jeff would track it every day with with his contacts uh i'm sure he had contacts out there you know he's he's worked for the newspaper for 30 plus years so i'm sure he had contacts through that media, but he was our, he was our go-to guy uh, of, of how um, teams are bowling. I mean, anytime somebody was getting close to the all events number, uh, we would, uh, we'd get a phone call uh, or a, a text that um, somebody's got a, ch- a shot to go around us. And then we get um, immediately as soon as they couldn't get there, or if they still had a chance, we were updated. Uh, so Jeff was behind all that. That was, that was my communication to whether we were, we were still in it or somebody beat us. Now, if you answered this while I stepped away, I apologize, but would you, as a, as a competitor, would you rather bowl, let's say, the first three weeks of the event and set the number or, or show up in the last three weeks knowing the number you've got to beat? And if you beat that number, you have a very small window of time to wait for that, that final number. I would rather go in the back end, Daniel, and for the reason is I got more information. Um, I know if it's a high scoring number, I know that, uh, I've got to be less conservative, whether it's ball sequencing, ball choice, uh, changing, uh, ch- changes some tools for ball motion, whatever we're trying to do for a game plan. If it's a higher number, you know, you, you've got to be, you got to gamble a little bit more to, to strike and get to that number. Or if it's a lower number, uh, you got to be more conservative and, and, uh, know that, by getting to that third game of its team, you got you put you set yourself up for a chance to take the lead. So I would rather go later than sooner. Okay. Well, now we know that that strategy and communication and, and chemistry and teamwork all very important at the Open Championships. You said earlier uh, that your job is to go there and throw strikes. You you go you bowl. Uh, you know Riggles is going to take care of the arrangements, the information. Um, you know that, uh, that Steve Richter has, seems to be the, the, the analyst of the group, maybe looking at, uh, at lanes and, and equipment and, and leading that part of the conversation. Uh, and then uh, Gail Myers and, and Mark McDowell in, in that year, that world, um, you know, again, they're, they're right there with you, uh, being the, the steady guys, the steady performers, throwing strikes. And I think that's, that's part of the strategy for Riggles is to take some of that pressure and that weight off you guys so you can just do what you do, uh, and that certainly has carried on for the last decade and a half, at least in, in my time. Yeah, you know, we've got, um, you know, our, our five, uh, our team, it's Riggles and McDowell and Steve Richter, Gales, Myers, and myself. 
I mean, Myers up until I think this past year, two years ago, was number two in lifetime average. So we had one and two in the lifetime average of that tournament. You've got Regals with multiple Eagles, uh, Richter, multiple Eagles. Uh, McDowell was a player of the year on tour. So the five of us, um, especially when we were a little bit younger um, and bowl a little bit more, were, were, um, we all had our you, – you had some guys could hook a little bit more, some guys like Mark and myself a little bit straighter, some guys in the middle, but all of us just knew how to bowl and could play any part of the lane. And really, I think what, what it came down to is when Jeff put these teams together, he got guys that were not selfish that would buy in and play as a team. We would develop a game plan. And, and you know, the higher RPM guys would have to sacrifice early to know what was coming later in the event. And uh, we never had a difficult time getting all 10 guys to buy into a plan, which is one of the main reasons we are so successful. Now, after 2005, uh, that success did continue. Uh, there was a lot of close calls along the way, some excitement, a lot of scoreboard watching. Uh, tell us about some of the, the close calls and um, some of the disappointments maybe along the way, maybe individually, uh, and then we'll talk about the, the big year in 2013. Well, I know one of the close calls is Mark McDonald and myself. We finished second in uh, doubles one year. got beat the last weekend by uh, Brandon and – Stephen Padilla, um, and, th- and they beat us by a lot. We had, uh, I think, fourteen seventy four. We both had seven thirty seven, and they had they they still have the record. They had fifteen something something big, huge. Which I, I think, if you want to get beat, you want to get beat bad. Somebody that, that bowls extremely well, <laughs> and somebody beaten by a couple of pins because you can always reflect back and figure out where you could have picked up those those few pins. That was a big one. I didn't think it was going to hold 1474. I was I was hoping, but then when we got later toward the last weekend, I thought we had a chance. But my phone was blowing up going into uh, their last game that we were going to get beat. So, and we got beat by two really good players. Um, some of the other ones, you know, we had to lead many times through the majority of that tournament and just got beat. Uh, and then the, uh, the last one we won, the, um, that was a special one because it, uh, it came down to a huge last game, a lot of, lot of energy, um, a lot of excitement on the lanes. Uh, so, um, but they're all special. Even, even when you leave there, leave there with a lead and you don't win and you get a top two, three, four, five finish, uh, just the excitement of leaving with a lead. I think there's a couple of years – I think we left with a lead in all categories, which is pretty neat, and then never won a category. So it just tells you how difficult it is and how many great players that tournament has, how many great teams. Well, you mentioned Steven and Brenda, and they're 1566. Of course, the, the highest doubles total in tournament history, and that's still, uh, that was back in 2009. Uh, and then for you guys in 2013, that final game at the time was a record score, 1281. Of course, you played a big role in finishing that off. Uh, can you describe that electricity, that moment uh, when that happened? You knew it was going to take that much to get there, uh, and, and you did it. And f- for that period of time, you had the highest score in history. You had the lead. Uh, of course, um, went on to win the title. The Eagle, potentially, that's what locks up the Hall of Fame for you. Uh, just describe 2013 and that moment as a whole. Well, I'll never forget before the tournament started, we, uh, we, uh, 
participating in quite a few brackets. That's that's Jeff and Steve and Gail. They're kind of the head of that. And there was a young group out of Florida who who uh, switched squads to ball in our squad because they heard we uh, we load up in brackets and they jumped in. And there were some pretty good bowlers. And you know we were uh, we were in our forties by then. Um, and so they jumped squads so they could have more action. Um, and uh, the, um, the, the fun part about that, that tournament is I reflect back was, you know, young 20 year olds. And I would have done the same thing when I was in my twenties, looking at some 40 year old, 40 year olds that um, maybe looked uh, like they were past their prime. And, and I remember bowling <laughs> as well as we did that night. We, uh, and, and if you, if anybody knows Riggles, how emotional he gets on the lanes, um, immediately, um, they knew that they probably should have kept the squad they were originally on because, um, you know, once, uh, Riggles found out why they switched the, the uh, energy got kicked up a couple of levels. Uh, so that, that's one thing I remember. And then, uh, just going to the 10th frame and knowing what, uh, what we needed to take the lead, um, was exciting. And then coming down as I bowl number five, uh, you know, I needed that first hit and threw a really good shot and, and the excitement we had on the approach and the set to area, that was, uh, that's something I'll never forget. Now, does that moment pretty much describe the open championships and, and you guys gathered there on the back of the approach and just celebrating and just, that's the environment. That's, that's the type of feeling I think that brings thousands and thousands of bowlers to the event each year. That that's what's special about the USBC Nationals is you know, you get a chance to to compete at the highest level. You get a chance to do something special with guys that uh, are friends. You know, you bowled well with uh, for years and develop some really strong relationships with. And those are the things that I'll never forget. I would I would trade everything I've done in this this championship um, for that. Uh, because that to me is, um, you know, that would be number one on the prior priority list is the relational relationships, the memories that we developed over the last 25 years. It's what it's all about. I mean, the, when I reflect, I don't remember about the hardware. It's all about um, the excitement, uh, the enthusiasm, the teamwork, just the, the support. Uh, and then uh, afterwards having the fellowship together and, and really, um, you know, putting that into, uh, you know, your memory bank for something you'll never forget. Now, again, coming up in 2020, uh, another milestone for you, also at the National Bowling Stadium. Uh, your 25th year is on the horizon. It's been a great career. I have no doubt you're not done yet. Uh, even your, your lowest all-event score on any year uh, would be uh, somebody's dream score, I think, for, for most of our bowlers. Um, but just talk about number 25 and, and how special it is and just the, the career as a whole at the OC. 25 will be special. 25 is a long time, especially uh, bowling as, as many consecutive years as I've bowled with this, these two teams, these nine other guys. So that'll be special. And it's, you know, whether it's 25, 30, and, and I hope it goes on. I, that uh, Do we still have something left? Um, we're not as good as we used to be, but uh, can we still win? Absolutely. Um, it, it would be special to win one more time to get one more eagle, especially if we could get the five original guys back that we've bowled with for the last 20-plus years. That would be really special. But uh, 
25 will be, you know, it's just a, it's a long consecutive streak. It's a streak that I'm proud of, a streak that I've shared some incredible memories with, with these guys that I get a chance to bowl with. Um, and it's been uh, the majority of my career is, is, is at the USBC Nationals. Well, kind of getting back, you know, you mentioned, you know, getting a little bit up there in age compared to where you were, as, as we all are. You know, father time is undefeated. But just to let you know, I'm sure you're aware of this. Um, as I've heard a bunch of my friends in the St. Louis area from having went to Lindenwood say, uh, a bunch of old guys set the world record for the five-man team game just a few weeks ago in St. Louis. And they beat a bunch of young guys that I went to college with to set that record. So being old doesn't mean you're out of it by any means. I know you know that. Right, right. The, the, beauty of, the beauty of this sport, Daniel, is, you know, it's a lifelong sport. If you take care of yourself and put some time in, uh, you can bowl at a, a very high level for a very long period of time. So that's, to me, that's the greatest thing about our sport. Uh, you know, I, I played uh, baseball, football, and basketball in high school, and I can't do any of them anymore because uh -huh. I'm too old. But this sport, uh, you know, I saw Dick Weber win in the 70s, Petraglia win in the 70s. Uh, guys bowl at uh, a very, very high level um, at a uh, at an age in most sports, uh, you know, you're sitting watching on TV. I want to take a quick step back, go back to your 20th year back in uh, 2015, when you finally hit the the minimum to be considered the, the average leader at the event. Uh, what was it like when you hit that, you know, that 20th year was completed and you were the career average leader at the OC and you had such a wide margin? Did it did it hit you in a different way that you had a, that such a, a big lead over the next highest average, or was it just another feather in your cap, so to speak? Well, I, again, not knowing the numbers, Jeff, Jeff pointed that out to me, shared that number with me. Um, you know, I, I think what it did was it just kind of summarized my preparation for the last 20 years. You know, I've always felt a little bit of pressure not to perform well in the event, but perform well for my teammates when I got out of here because I knew they counted on me. So I knew I had to put some time in. So I always put a good amount of time preparing for that event to get as physically as I could in, in shape, uh, as sharp as I could bowling wise. So when I came out here, I was ready. Um, so it, it was, uh, you know, just, it just kind of gave me a lot of reflection, uh, a lot of, um, belief in that if you prepare and you put time into your craft you, know, you can you can do something special no matter who you are so uh, it was uh it was a good feeling you know uh, as we covered not only oh, go ahead matt I, I just wanted to jump in and say um i uh, I, I don't like making mistakes and i know jeff Riggles is going to call me on it 100 percent uh but earlier we were talking about uh, about kind of the progression of your career mike uh, and I said 2013 for that big year in Reno. And I knew it was 2011. I know it is. I lived it in, in that moment. And, uh, and I was talking about 2013 earlier uh, with some other folks. And uh, I just wanted to, to clarify that, that I'm not losing my mind at my old age. Uh, and the OC is still as fresh as ever. And, you know, looking forward to, to reminiscing and, and making new memories as well. But uh, just wanted to put that out there before, uh, before I got called on it. Well, you get called <laughs> on it. You know that. I, 100%. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what I was going to say is that, as we talked about, not only are you a great competitor on the lanes, but you're also a silver level coach, um, assistant coach with Team USA. 
talk a little bit about what it's like working with the next generation at the coaching level and helping them progress their game to get to that next level to presumably maybe get to where you are at this point in your career? You know, Daniel, that's, that's a great question. I, I take more satisfaction in coaching today than I do competing. Uh, and, and the reason for it's because of what I've been given over the last 35 years. I've been in front of some incredible coaches. Uh, I know when I was on tour, I would seek out really every coach that, that was successful, and, and I would get around them and really try to be a sponge to acquire as much knowledge and learning as I possibly could. And then also my time I spent with Coach Straub. Um, and today, it's, to me, it's all about giving back. You know, my goal is how can I give all the blessings I've received in this game and give back to today's player? How do I build a sport? And to build a sport, you know, I've got the opportunity to make players better. I've got the opportunity to grow the sport. I've got the opportunities to, to share um, some of my knowledge and, and some of the techniques that uh, I've learned and I've, I've acquired over my career and, and passed it on to the next generation. And then, you know, I've had the opportunity several years ago to come on staff with Team USA and, and just to be around some of those great coaches and that culture and that environment, Rod and, and uh, Brian O'Keefe and, and Kelly Kulik and Andy Dirks and Baker and Warren, all those great coaches, Billy Spigner, and, and, and not only continue to give back, but continue to add tools to my bag, bag as well to keep learning and have that growth mindset. But, you know, I want to grow this sport. I want to grow the membership through the USBC. I want to give back and make it a better place than when I came in. We definitely appreciate all that hard work, that dedication. I know the players do. Uh, you and I had a chance to go to the World Youth Championships, uh, and it was in the Detroit area. So another opportunity for uh, some additional coaches to join the team that week as well. Uh, and you absolutely uh, made an impression on those young players. Uh, but tell us from your perspective what that experience was like for you, helping them find success to win those medals uh, and to see them on the medal stand after such a, a hard-fought week. You know, we, we've talked about some of the things I've, I've done over my career, but, you know, one of the coolest things, and I share this with my, my students in my classroom at high school, was seeing our country players, our bowlers on Team USA, on the podium with, with our national anthem playing, getting a, a medal draped around their neck was, you know, was, uh, it was one of those goose, goosebump moments. It was um, – memorable. It was uh, one of the neatest things I've ever been a part of. Um, and then being a part of the process of seeing, you know, our, our players, our Team USA players beating 36 or 37 other countries in the world in Detroit uh, in multiple events was, uh, was special because um, they work hard. You know, they've got that mindset. We've got a great staff of coaches. We've got a great program through junior goal all the way up to the training center that Rod has developed down in Arlington. And, and we see, you know, the fruits of all that, of, of what, um, you know, the best bowlers, the best bowling is still in our country. Um, and, and, and I saw that that week. I think the rest of the world um, saw it. They still realize that we, we do have the best bowlers in the world. Uh, and I was a part of that. And that was a pretty special week. Uh, what advice can you give them about, uh, staying motivated and wanting to improve and, and, and progress and 
choosing the path that's right for them as, as you did uh, now just a couple of decades ago? You know, it's, it's trying to get better every day, you know, just a, just a little bit better every day. I, you know, I, I always tell my class, you got 86,400 seconds every day. It doesn't matter who you are, how old, how young, how affluent, how much poverty you have. It doesn't matter that we all are gifted with 86,400 every day. And if you can utilize those and get 1% better a day, which is only 14 minutes and 24 seconds, if you can win your 1424 a day and get that much better a day, well, every day it's, it's like the compound effect. You get better and better and better. And pretty soon you get a star, whether it's bowling, whether it's a sport, whether it's, it's in business, whether it's in an academia environment, you just fill in a blank. But if you can grow and win the day, just a little bit every day in anything, have a growth mindset, you can become what you want, especially in this sport. You don't have to be the most athletic. You don't have to be the tallest, the shortest, the fastest. If you've got the heart, you've got a growth mindset, you want to put a little bit of elbow grease in, you can, you can go a long way in the sport of bowling. Now, the OC... Oh, you, you. Oh, uh, I want to ask real quick about the, the, the coaching side of it. And we, we've talked about in, in previous podcasts and a little bit on this podcast about how technology has changed over the years. And let's say 25 years ago, we really didn't have cameras for coaches, even the higher level coaches to work with. It was more you see what you see and you work off of that. And the players have to work more on, on feel than anything else of what their coach tells them. Now, you know, we've got Specto, we've got the CAT system, we've got cameras from front, back, side, underneath, we've got lanes that will tell us all those stats as a coach working at the ITRC uh, with team USA, what's it like to have all those resources available to you and how much, I guess, easier does it make your job to be able to help these players and, and to have this technology uh, at, at your disposal? Yeah, that's a great point, Daniel. It's just instant feedback. Anytime, Daniel, you can get your player that can, he or she can get instant feedback from what you're trying to do at all. You know, 95 to 98% of my students I teach in school today are visual learners. You know, you, you've got some kinesthetic, auditory, some of those other learning styles, but the majority of them are visual. So with, with the technology we have today, visually, if they can see it and they can compare it, they can see their strength, they can see some of their opportunities for growth, some of their weaknesses and how to get better, and you've got all that data you're, you're instantly getting and acquiring, and then you can see – and how they're growing as a player, you know, it increases motivation, increases their, their um, excitement to learn and get better each and every day because they can see the progression. They can see the improvement from day to day. And as you mentioned, when I first got on tour in 1990, I bought an eight millimeter camera and, and the, the screen was about two inches and mm -hmm. I would videotape myself so I could see it, but it was really, really difficult. And today we've got iPads and we've got Specto and you've got, um, you got your phones in your pockets and you can go to Coach's Eye or um, any of the other coaches' apps and instantly get feedback. And then you also can get feedback from a coach who could be on the other side of the world by looking at your video and, and, and get, um, you could get it analyzed and get feedback mm -hmm. immediately where years ago that was impossible. And that's one of the reasons players today are, are getting better sooner there's more there's more there's a more uh, variety of, of different techniques that are bowling at the highest level 
Uh, that's why you're seeing the sport evolve so quickly because of technology. That's definitely a, a great segue as well for what's happening right now in the world where everybody's isolated. Uh, what are you doing or offering or, or how are you using the tools that you have to help the Mike City Bowling uh, students stay sharp and ready? What are you doing to make sure that you are ready and prepared for the Open Championships? Of course, uh, you've had some injuries over the recent years as well. Um, but uh, what are you doing to, to make sure that, that those aren't factors and, and to get yourself and everybody else ready and sharp when it's time to get back on the lanes? Well, right now it's all learning, you know, just really taking the opportunity, the advantage of the extra time we've got now, just being quarantined, uh, just to continue the learning process for myself, whether it's the mental side, um, looking at a lot of video, you know, I study a lot of different games, just try to continue to learn as an educator, a coach, uh, which also helps myself in my own game. Physically, I've had no, no chance of getting to the lanes, obviously, because it's, everything's all closed down. But um, physically, on a, on a cardio and, and um, resistance side of, of getting in shape, I've got opportunities right now to get in better shape. So when we do get to August, which is when our USBC championships are, and if it is, current and things are scheduled as is right now and I'll be ready because eventually this is going to lift I'll, my summers are open I don't teach in the summers school-wise so I've got more opportunity to prepare more, even more in the summer um, but for my students my players a lot of stuff right now is all mental trying to keep them mental health trying to keep them you know up um, I think relational right now is more important than anything else just making sure they're well making sure they're growing. There's a lot of things you can grow in right now. The mindset you can really start to evolve in right now, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through just acquiring more knowledge, whether it's through self-talk, scheduling in the morning, do you have a plan? It's easy for a young player today to get off a routine, you know, sleep in, um, wellness as an eating, physical conditioning. It's easy to slide out of those routines now. And right now it's really important to get even stronger, uh, more strict routines. So there's a lot of things like that that uh, I'm supporting my players with and players should be looking at as well. All right. So as we summarize, just uh, just going back over, over everything, and, um, you know, we talked a lot of numbers, uh, your phenomenal career at the OC. Uh, we talked about the Eagles in 2005 and 2011. Uh, and then the Hall of Fame in 2017 uh, as kind of being the, the cap at this point. Um, can you describe just, just hearing that? I know it probably never gets old to hear that, to, to walk around and, and see the Eagles. I know uh, you guys joke about the, having the Eagle Dusters there supporting you and watching you. Uh, that would be the, the wives. Um, but uh, just to see those all the time and, and just to think on those moments and to know that you are a USBC Hall of Famer. Uh, can you describe those feelings? Well, it's, you know, it's, again, it goes back to gratitude. There's just so many people in, in my career that I've got to be thankful for, from the coaches to really all the way back to my father, my mom and dad who owned a bowling center, and I was brought up in that industry to, as I mentioned, coaches to my teammates, Jeff Riggles, putting this the catalyst, putting this all together. Um, all, all the nine other guys I've bowled with over the last 20 plus years to, you know, my family here, my wife, and my kids for supporting when I'm 
out trying to prepare for these tournaments. Um, and then all that hard work was, was really summed up and um, put into the USBC Hall of Fame. So just a, just a lot of um, gratitude there. And, and, um, and it, you know, to me, it, 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 it's a segue of, again, back to what we talked about earlier, how I can give back and build this sport. Um, you know, it's created, it's created some visibility for, for my name, Mike Shady. So, you know, it's added some credibility so I can, I can continue to coach and evolve players, grow the sport, um, which leads me into, uh, you know, Mike Flanagan, who both of you guys know extremely well. Mike is, uh, we decided a few months ago to um, develop a portion of his business with coaching, to try to build a sport um, through Inside Bowling and YouTube. And in fact, the first first video, we just finished 16 video clips. Uh, the first one being my five secrets and how to be successful at the USBC championships. And I believe that'll be airing this week uh, through Mike's channel. And it goes, goes through five simple secrets, techniques that I've done for 20, 24 years, going to be 25 this year, why I've been successful at the UBC, USBC championships. So, you know, as I look back, it, it, uh, it can, continues to grow, evolve. You know, I continue on. Do I want to compete at a high level? Absolutely. I'm not competing, uh, done competing yet. And, uh, but most importantly, I want to grow this, this sport. Based on that and the fact that we talked about the, uh, the feelings you had representing Team USA as a coach, uh, as you get to that point in your career, uh, is there any aspirations for you to actually compete with Team USA, the Team USA program, or some of the senior events coming up down the line? Or um, are we going to see you out there with, uh, with that jersey but in a different role? Well, I, I would love to put that, um, you know, just uh, one, one more thing in my portfolio before it's all over is, absolutely compete. The problem is being a teacher, I've got about eight more years before I retire as a teacher, but if that would ever transition to the summertime, I would definitely put in my name and see if I could get on the team and represent my country. As I mentioned, what I saw in Detroit two years ago, when we won the Worlds, our junior team USA, and I was a part of that. That was one of the most impressive, emotional, neatest things I've ever seen in my career. I can, I can echo that sentiment. Uh, the year that I was on junior team, I got to go to two events. One of them was the American Zone Championships down in Pueblo, Mexico. And we won the team gold down there. Um, we, we beat Brazil by over 200 pins. And it was um, for someone who went into his – because my first junior gold was 2005. And when I made junior team that year, I didn't know what it was. So for someone who didn't know what it was a year before, to feel that elation of winning a team gold, uh, that, is, that is up there being 15 year, 14, 15 years ago in my youth career, it's still up there as one of the biggest accomplishments um, that I've ever had throwing a bowling ball because of what it meant wearing those colors, winning that gold medal and doing it with my team, not in a singles, a doubles or a master's event. Yeah. I, I, I think it, and just listening to that story and knowing that you experienced that it, it to me, it's one of the, uh, anytime you can represent the United States of America in the sport that you are, a master of your craft and you're one of the few selections and you ball at the highest level winning a gold is one of the greatest accomplishments you can have in this sport of bowling. I fully agree. 
Well, it uh, definitely gives me some goosebumps as well, having been able to share some of those moments with you guys. Mike, we mentioned I was at that event in Detroit with you, and uh, Mr. Ferris and I go back to the Term of the Americas uh, back during his junior team USA tenure. Uh, I don't get to throw the balls down the lane, but uh, certainly sharing those moments uh, is, is a very proud opportunity for me as well. Uh, so thank you, gentlemen, for both letting me be a part of those moments in your careers. Yeah, that uh, that was, um, and I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of that, uh, and I'm sure it never gets old for you. Absolutely not. You know, Matt, I'm not going to let you sell yourself short here because you only you don't bowl a lot. You cover it more than you bowl. I think you bowl a couple times a year, and one of those times is singles and doubles at the Open Championships. And last year at the OC in Vegas, having not thrown a ball for a year, you shot like twelve sixty something at the OC. So. Yeah, you may not toss the rock very often, but you can you can throw it. Let's let's not sell yourself short here. Well, I, I appreciate that, and uh, as rewarding <laughs> as that is, um, having been a part of some of the most exciting and memorable moments at the Open Championships from a different perspective, uh, the bar's pretty high. So uh, I know I, I probably won't reach that level at any point, but the fact that I can live vicariously through fifty thousand bowlers and hear their stories, uh, it's all good. If there's an eagle for PR. Hopefully, I'd be in contention for that. Oh, you'd have it. Easily. Multiple. Multiple eagles. Multiple. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Mike, before we go, uh, any final thoughts? Where can we find you online if we want a lesson virtually and from a, from a distance? Uh, if we want to read your blogs, check things out. And where can we find these, these, these coaching segments one more time? Yeah, you, you can uh, – thanks for that, Matt. You can go to MikeShadyBowling.com. Uh, I've got blogs on there. I try to put uh, physical uh, information, uh, mental information. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Camps uh, – yeah, I've got four camps this summer. I don't know if they're going to go with what we're in right now. Hopefully uh, the two in August will go. But uh, you can find lots of information. Because I got more time, I'm redesigning my website now, just trying to make it a little bit more user-friendly uh, and really trying to get into the virtual learning because I think we have to do that. Uh, this is going to change a few things. Uh, but you can find me there. I've got a Facebook page. Um, and then check uh, uh, Mike Flanagan's, uh, our new coaching segments. Every week we're going to blow a segment out for the next 16 weeks. Um, so we're excited about that as well. All right, now, Daniel, you enjoy the numbers uh, more than more than anybody, I think, on our, on our staff. Uh, Mike Shady has shot 1,900 or better 22 times in 24 years, uh, accomplished some great things, also has a lot to offer as a coach, which is something uh, you're always out there working on your game as well. But uh, any, any thoughts, uh, any summary on, uh, on our first conversation here with Mike Shady? I do have one question, and I'm going to take this back to so our last show with Dan Higgins while talking about them winning the regular team title last year at the OC, I reminded Dan that despite taking the lead and eventually winning, and despite him shooting 755 in that team event, he also missed two single pins. So I'm going to take you back to 1992 when you won the Earl Anthony PBA Open <laughs> at Earl Anthony's Dublin uh, Bowl in Dublin, California. Your first shot on TV of that event against uh, Dave Traber, you threw it in the gutter. And then you big forward on the spare attempt. What's going through your mind? Now, you ended up winning the event, so I'm not bringing up a blunder and a loss. But what's going through your mind when you open the match on TV, gutter big four? Well, there's, there's, there's two points I want to make that uh, when I think of that gutter ball. 
One was that was the first week the tournament committee on the PBA tour uh, banned having any type of rosin on the settee area for TV shows. And it was warm. And I remember, and, and Mike Durbin was very gracious, and he said it hit my ankle, but it was it was six inches from my ankle. never hit it. It was the reason why I went in the gutter. But I remember as the ball was coming down at the top of my backswing, I could feel it because my hand was sweating. I was, I was anxious, and mm-hmm. I knew I was going to lose it, and it went right in the gutter. Now, 10 or 15 minutes before that, Denny Schreiner interviewed me and said, Hey, Mike, you've had several runner-ups this year. What is it going to take for you to get into the winner's circle this season on the PBA Tour? I said, Denny, I've got to get ahead of my opponent. I've got to get off to a fast start, which means I've got to start striking right out of the gate. Well, if you go back and watch that show on YouTube, it's gutter five. I got five in the first frame. But what it really did was that was the, that was the year I really started – to hone in on my mental game. I started working with a guy named Dr. John Curtis out of Wisconsin. He was the Milwaukee Brewers, Green Bay Packers sports psychologist. And I remember all the work we did prior to that event, I did a lot of mental rehearsal for that TV show. And one of the things you rehearsed for was just some negative things that could occur. And I, 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 was, I was prepared for it. So when I mm-hmm. threw the gutter ball and I got five, I thought, you know what? It doesn't get any worse than this. Let's start to compete. So it, it, it really relaxed me, and, um, and I, I took the rosin bake out of my bag, put it back on the settee area, and made sure my hand was dry after that shot. <laughs> well, you're, you're consistent because I watched the telecast today, and the first thing you said in the interview on the lands after you beat this guy, Parker Bone, who's up on the wall here in the, in the garage, um, you said after that first frame you thought, well, it can't get any worse than this. So at least you're consistent, if nothing else. Right. <laughs> well, it's definitely gotten pretty good in the years since. Uh, we covered it pretty well. Uh, we got our year straight there eventually, too. Uh, we appreciate both you guys uh, being on today's show and, and reminiscing with us a little bit. Mike, we look forward to the 2020 event, celebrating 25 years with you and uh, whatever you guys have in store for us in the future as well potentially with Team USA. Looking forward to those trips. Uh, so thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and my team in Wisconsin. When you guys see this, looking forward to seeing you. It's been over a year. I'll be ready. And as always, Mr. Ferris, thank you for your insight and, uh, and all of your great questions along the way. Uh, folks, we'll see you next time here on Inside the OC. My name is Matt Canizaro. For Daniel Ferris and Mike Shady, that's the news for now. See you on the links.